welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone out there trying to find me on Instagram or Facebook, it's just at Justin Bizarro. You can find the podcast at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's on Facebook and Instagram as well. And thank you, everyone in the audience, for listening in. Thanks for all the support for the Food and Beverage Entrepreneur Summit we're holding um, in October in Milledgeville, Georgia. That's been outstanding um, in our effort to give back to the community and sort of jumpstart things safely um, after the quarantine and COVID um, and start getting people moving around outdoors um, and doing food-like things in safer environments. So thank you, everyone, for the support of that. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I have the official chicken lady from Columbus, Georgia. How are you doing today, Melinda? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm I'm excellent. So, Melinda, one, thank you for coming on the podcast. Melinda's one of the only people I haven't truly had to harass fully once they've decided to be on the podcast to actually get on and, and appear. <laughs> Usually it's about, it's not only do we do a couple of takes before the episode starts on this podcast, I literally have to do a couple of takes with a lot of people before we actually get a podcast recorded. This is, I, I love the podcast. It's also teaching me tolerance and, you know, people have other lives going on that are pretty important and coming on the podcast is fun, but I, obviously I understand they're running businesses and have families that are way more important. But that being said, yeah, so, it's my pleasure being here today. Yeah. So Melinda, let's dive right into it. Let's, let's, it sounds like from our pre-conversation that you're chicken entrepreneurial spirit started probably from the moment you were born. So, I mean, let's, pretty much. <laughs> let's pretty, tell the story. Pretty much. So my grandmother, Minnie, she has been in catering and food her entire life, and she raised six children. And then when she got up in her, her later years, she decided that she wanted her own restaurant. So she opened Minnie's Uptown Restaurant in Columbus, Georgia, 35 years ago. Then, and it's been a locally um, famous little joint, a meet and three, known for her fried chicken and southern sides, cornbread dressing, mac and cheese, cornbread, sweet potatoes. So I started working at the restaurant coming from the corporate world about 18, maybe 20 years ago. So I was learning the business and I took a liking to frying the chicken. So I started frying the chicken and I became known for my fried chicken. Started winning some awards, best in, uh, best in Columbus, 17 years, I think. And then went on to best in Georgia from uh, Georgia Tourism. And then I was featured in the Wall Street Journal, Atlanta um, Journal-Constitution. So people started calling me the chicken lady. When I walk into a restaurant, they they won't say, hey, Melinda. They're like, there's the chicken lady. <laughs> so, so the branding um, – kind of already took place because no one really knows that my name is Melinda. And then from there, I felt that, I don't know, I wasn't living up to my God-given abilities. And although we had an extremely successful restaurant and everything was going 
super well for us. I decided that we needed some of our products in the grocery store. And I really thought that I was going to put some of our cakes or dessert in the grocery store. But as it progressed, um, I started with the sauce, uh, which is now the kind of Georgia famous dipping sauce that our fried chicken is dipped in. It's similar to Nashville hot chicken, but it's a a little bit thicker consistency. So we started with the sauces, and now we have six sauces um, that are on the market. And then grocery stores were call- started calling me, wanting to know if we could sell our cornbread dressing for the holidays. And I was like, well, absolutely we can. So I just dove in and we started with the sauces and then that turned into six sauces. And then we put the cornbread dressing on the market under the Chicken Lady brand. And then I had the opportunity to buy the Aunt Pearlie's brand products. So purchased that company. So we have their cornbread dressing, their sweet potato souffle, their corn casserole. And then we wanted to take it to the next level. So um, on the bigger distribution where some of our products are going into other restaurants and nursing homes, that type of thing, we have um, our famous macaroni and cheese that's on the restaurant distribution side of the house. So all of that, all of that took off. And then I was like, well, we have all of this going into production in the restaurant. So, like, why don't we open up, like, start a, a smaller franchise that's not these huge restaurants like Minnie's because Minnie's seats around 200 people. So I thought if we could do something where people are in and out and can get the same good food, um, That is kind of how the Chicken Lady's Coop restaurant was born, which is, I mean, there's some small seating, maybe 30 people can sit in here, but it's typically catering and to go. So, like, if you want a peach cobbler and you don't feel like making a peach cobbler or cornbread dressing, you just call us up and we make you a pan and out the door you go. I love this. So, I want (laughs) to comment on this just because... I don't normally talk a lot about personal stories and stuff, but for seven years of my career, um, we were involved in distribution of um, chicken-related products, whether rotisserie or fried or marinades, um, things like that, for a brand similar to yours. We did it for seven years, and we helped build a brand on the entire East Coast. And as they grew into franchises, we did all the distribution and and helped set up demos and stuff and get them in front of grocery store chains and stuff like that or into convenience store chains. It was a really cool thing. uh, We got out of it a few years ago. Um, So you know my world well. (laughs) Yeah, which and it's funny they and I love your name and it always part of the reason I was like, oh, I got to get her on the podcast is because everyone used to joke around, oh, Bizarro, you know, my friend's Chicken King of the East over here because like I was really passionate about it because I love fried chicken and I love grilled chicken like chicken's like my go-to protein buddy yeah and and so it's you know I 
just I'm like, oh my gosh, I in I've read about it and I followed it and I've done some research and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's at the beginning. I love this part. This is my favorite part where you actually go out and build it and um and spread it across regions and countries and into grocery stores and you spread out and what you're doing is so cool. I love you've got a product in the grocery stores. Um, you're diversifying your offering. You're willing to acquire someone to get their clients or customers and their access to supply chains and, you know, and so on and so forth. So what you've done is it doesn't matter if you're small or large, you can make these strategic decisions and connections early on. And I love the franchise model. I honestly, I think that people are probably, Oh, there's chicken out there everywhere. Yeah, but what's happening in the world is people are getting more particular and more specified on on the way they want things and how the ingredients are. And we're seeing a whole new ro- world, and there's so much opportunity for grab-and-go now with COVID. So your yeah. business model is perfectly there, whether it's shipping sauces into someone's home so they can do it, um, the yeah. cornbread souffle. you know. So you basically have tweaked your, your business – to to grow extremely well, um, no matter which direction it is, one can pull the other by building a brand in various yeah. different sales channels uh, through various different models, which is cool. So tell us about that. I mean, this is obviously the mad scientist moment, which I love being a visionary <laughs> myself. Is not many people can see all these pieces come into play or how it yeah. flows in a brain and how it all makes sense and actually makes money. How does this make money is always a question. Well, here's how they all fit together and complement each other. And therefore, there's this savings. And then therefore, the revenue we make this way, this way, this way, this way is more because we're sharing our expense. You know, yes. so, so tell us about like, your brain. I'm, I'm interested in hearing this. So there's so many integral parts of this. Um, I'm, I'm standing here at the corner at, at the little restaurant and I'm looking at my logo that's up on the wall. Just looking at this logo has so many pieces to her. So if you look at the chicken lady, she's this sexy little pinup chicken that can cook. So basically, when I decided to develop the logo, I I basically went to marketing specialist and I was like, this is what I want. I want a a sexy southern sassy chicken that looks like she can cook really well. And so the first company that I went with out of Atlanta basically they fired me. They're like we're we are unable to bring your vision to fruition. So <laughs> I was like, well, I don't okay, all right. So Well, this is just was, the beginning. So if you can't do it now, we we don't stand a chance, man. Yeah. So I got with my family and talking with my sons. I have twin boys that are 24. And um which they have nothing to do with the restaurant world. One's landscaping and one's in the Air Force, but I was like I don't like I don't know what to do. What do I do next? I don't know where to go. I've been fired by the team that was going to do the logo. So my son Chandler, he's like, well, why don't you get a tattoo artist to draw it up? And I was like, oh, my God, you're brilliant, child. So I contacted some of my friends that have a lot of tattoos. And I was like, hey, I need your help. This is where I am. And one of my friends, Misty, she's like, I know the perfect person. She's in Jacksonville, Florida. So we connected and I I talked with her 
And she's like, I absolutely can do this. So she started developing Chicken Lady. And the first rough drafts she sent me, I was like, this is it. This is perfect. So then, like, we designed her eyes and what color she would actually be and her hair and the length and her cleavage and the the length of her apron. And then that's how she was born. But it's like... To just look at the logo, you're like, oh, like she's really cute. But there's so much that goes into just a logo. Yeah, absolutely. So so from that, um, it was building the company. So we had Minis, and Minis is a sit-down, famous meet-and-three cafeteria. And it's like Minis will always be Minis. I will never make any changes to it. It's perfect as it is. But I had... I wanted something that I could grow. So I'm like, we've got to get this into the grocery stores because um, like a lot of the famous brands you see in the grocery stores, they, it's Marie Callender, um, it all comes from little restaurants that didn't quit. So I was like, I want to get into the grocery stores. So I just kind of, dove in after I got mad at a boyfriend. I I had talked about this idea of going into the grocery stores and putting my products and everyone was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. But I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I didn't know if I had the, all the courage I needed to do that um, because that was big and a lot of money to do it. So Anyways, that guy broke up with me because I was, uh, he was disenfranchised with a strong, independent woman. So (laughs) that joker made me so mad that I was like, you think I'm strong and independent now? Well, watch this. So I was like, I'm doing this. I'm putting these products in the grocery store, but I have no idea what to even name this company. So I was like, well, everyone calls me the chicken lady. So let's just name it chicken lady. Yeah, there you go. And um, so then I got with an attorney and he's like, you want me to register and trademark chicken and lady? I'm like, yes. (laughs) So anyways, we finally got it done and the brand was born. And, um, So, yeah, then it was just me learning how to get in front of people who would buy my product and put it in their grocery stores. And I have to give a huge shout out to my local Piggly Wiggly because they put me on the map. My, My first season of producing the cornbread dressing, they bought, um, it was close to $20,000 worth of product my first um, my first little Thanksgiving season, which is kind of unheard of for a brand, but they just believed in what I did and sold out the first day. And was that the corn? Um, that's, the corn that's the chicken lady cornbread dressing. Okay. Wow. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So, um, and so just the hiccups that go along with that are hilarious, hilarious in itself. So when my co-packer, he's like, we have everything to start production. We just need the lids. 
And I was like, well, they should have already been delivered. Let me get with the printer and see what happened. Well, I called the printer and he's like, well, I didn't have a PO. You had just stated that you needed them. <laughs> so there were no lids going to the co-packer. And I'm like, okay, figure this one out, Melinda. So I just, I was like, well, I know people who can make me stickers quickly and I can order aluminum lids to fit on the pan. So that's what I did. And I called up a local printing company and I was like, I need you to save me. This is what has happened. So that printing company printed all of the stickers to go on top of the aluminum lids and had them ready for me in two days. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and basically everyone was like, you must have somebody up above looking out for you because stuff just doesn't happen that way. And yeah. I was like, yeah. Well, not to mention you have a partnership with life with them. I mean, talk about really delivering on, on helping someone out. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yes. So then um, as we were growing, the Aunt Pearlie's brand, um, basically the co-packer, he put the meeting together that they saw me as being this spunky new person on the market who really wanted to push the brands and had something going that was, they believe, was really going to take off in their eyes. So they set up the meeting where I could purchase um that brand, and when I tasted the sweet potato souffle, I was like, it's better than mine. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and then we went into production with both companies, and the Chicken Lady brand is um, it's probably the most expensive for the casseroles that you can buy, and then the Aunt Pearlie's is the the lowest priced um of the three and then my competition is kind of the the middleman so that's really cool so tell me how you come up with recipes i mean i mean is it stuff that originated from minis i mean you talked about your own fried chicken recipe i mean how do you differentiate yourself from other companies because that's the thing right there's a lot of chicken companies out there i just talked about one that I worked with and, and we build over the years or help you know, build. So how, I mean, how, I mean, how do you differentiate yourself in that market? So basically for me, it's taste and putting flavors together that work well. So like there's so many processes that go to just the fried chicken. It's a special oil that we fry in, um, the it's soaked in a brine overnight before it even goes into its seasoning. So it's really putting everything together where the the flavors are full flavors. And like when you taste my chicken, you're gonna know my that that's chicken lady chicken. Like you could do a blind taste test from people who have been eating at Minnie's Uptown restaurant and they're going to know the exact flavor of the fried chicken at Minnie's Uptown. So then it's just listening to feedback from my customers. So like the the hot dip chicken, we take our chicken lady hot sauce and then um, dilute it a bit with some other oils and then dip the chicken and then top it with jalapenos. 
And I had a customer the other day. He's like, you know, if you put some hot curry on this, that'll just take it to that next level. He's like, it's good as it is. Um, he said, but I love spicy food. So he's like, try some hot, hot curry. And so I did it and it's amazing. So it's like just listening to feedback from others, um, does the same thing. So it like for the sweet potato souffle, the Aunt Pearlie's brand, it's one of those old recipes. Like it still uses dry milk in it. It's a very old recipe. So I took it. And a lot of customers were like, well, I like a topping on my sweet potato souffle. And I was like, okay, well, I need to develop a topping that goes on the souffle when it's in the restaurants for number one looks. It's got to look good on the line. And then to add to the taste and take it up to the next level, because there's a lot of meat and three cafeterias now, but you're not going to go somewhere and get a sweet potato souffle like the chicken lady sweet potato souffle. So basically... I started playing around in the kitchen and I was like, well, that's going to, if I put all that together, that's going to taste like a pecan sandy cookie. And then that flavor is going to work really well with the nutmeg and the souffle. So I tried it and voila, that's how the whole thing was born for that sweet potato souffle. And so... Those type of ideas, have you always been like this? Uh, I mean, as a kid, have you always been curious and exploratory? Or, I mean, is this, I mean, explain to me the (laughs) origins because they're curiosity, right? You're, you're willing to push an envelope. You're, you're not willing to just sit, uh, sit there and be okay with traditional, for example. This this is true. I, I guess I just, um, I'd like, the best of the best, like when someone says to me, um, like the restaurant business can, I mean, it can beat your tail down and no lie. It, it can beat you down. But when a customer is like, that's probably one of the best meals I've had in a while. Like that accolade is really what pushes and drives me. Like when someone eats something that is coming out of the restaurants or the brand, like I want them to paste to post online or, or say while they're in the restaurant, like that is delicious. That, it, that, that's what drives me is, is pleasing people with my food. It really is. Yeah, I mean, because the natural progression of good food and what you're doing, I mean, you you can create dry brines that people just add water to and do the same process you do. Or, I mean, you can replicate your model, that franchise model. I mean, there's so much potential with what you're doing in the mindset. I mean, and the sides. Like, everyone does the traditional French fries and everything like that, but I don't know any restaurant that's easy to get to. Maybe a Cracker Barrel that has a sweet potato souffle. So, and they're phenomenal. And sweet potatoes are way better than regular potatoes, in my opinion, anyway. So there's just that fact, because my my opinion matters on this, obviously. But, But, so, I mean, I mean, let's talk about the future and... You're obviously, this is where you are. I mean, sort of where's your mind going and and where do you feel the next steps are and, you know, and and how do you move each of these chess pieces forward? Because I think, 
Well, and this is important. I want to take a step back for a second and talk about this. Really, everyone would be like, you know, what? How is she going to do this? She needs to be really good at one thing. Well, she is really good at one thing. It's chicken. And then it's the the products that sort of surround that concept, right? Yes. So that's what she's that's what Melinda's good at. And then she's taking that and she's then moving chess pieces down the field or board to be exact on of each of these brands. So why I'm asking her is because she's obviously you move, you move each one down the field, you know, as you can, but always moving forward, obviously. And that's what I think she's talking about when she wants to grow something um, and how that works. So I'm diving into what does those pieces look like and how do you move them forward? So, yeah. So, so the next model is developing exactly what the chicken ladies coop restaurant is. So basically we're figuring out like the seating of the next restaurant, what that customer base is going to be. So, we can tell that it's going to be a lot of catering because one of the things that we, that I didn't even know we were going to do, I had never even thought about it when this one opened, was all of the large corporations um, outside of COVID that have, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees in a single location. Well, they love for us to come in, set up in the break room. So basically, it's like two meat entrees and um, four veggies and dessert to choose from. And the people come through the line and pick up their lunch instead of having to leave the complex. So it's all right there inside. And I never knew that that would be a part of this, but that is a huge part. Um, Before COVID, we were doing just out of this one little location, we had 17 caterings a week where we would set up at different locations. Um, so that is something that will definitely continue. Um, and it's, it's really nice just putting chicken lady in the, where everyone can see her. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of it. So when the next location opens, um, I have to check out the proximity of the the hotels, the large corporations, the car dealerships, the hospitals, because all of these are future customers. And everyone likes that you can get in and out quickly. That is so at the beginning of COVID, when many's basically had to, I don't want to say completely shut down, but many's was, many's is a gathering spot. So, People absolutely were shying away from minis because of COVID. Um, And then we just opened takeout only and curbside service. Well, the coop, everyone always kind of knew it was in and out quickly, not a lot of seating. So the coop actually started pulling minis during the first weeks of COVID um, just because people knew they could get in and out quick without being around a lot of people amazing um which yeah that like the beginning of covid that scared the hell out of us because two restaurants um yeah you really don't know what's going to happen or what you're going to do and and it was just a lot of quick thinking of how are we going to stay ahead of this thing 
So, um, so yeah, and, and we reached so many new customers that had never even heard of the coop. And now it's many's numbers are starting to get back to where they used to be. We're probably still at 50% sales um, of what we were before COVID, which is, um, it's tough. Uh, I, it's like you kind of take for granted what, how much business your companies do until you lose your customers from something you had no idea was coming. Yeah. Um, so my, my take on that was I personally um, got rid of everything that I, um, to give you specific numbers, I cut my income to maybe a third of what I was making. I downsized my big loft. I got rid of my, BMW M6, and I took myself down to a salary that I haven't lived on since I was probably in college. (laughs) Um, Because I didn't want the companies to suffer at all. And then as things, you know, climb their way back up and, you know, the brand is doing well again and, and the restaurants are at full capacity, then I'll take myself back up to you know something a little bit nicer than how I'm living now but I just I knew that I needed to sacrifice my personal stuff so that the companies wouldn't suffer at all absolutely I think that's awesome and and the foresight of suffer now for a larger um gain later um yeah and I, and I think it's important also is we often avoid pain or which will cause us pain maybe financially later on for pain now. Sometimes yeah. you just need to take the pain now because the pain later is so much better, is so much, you know, less because you, you took it now versus the other way around, you know, 100%. retirement and not having enough, <clears throat> et cetera. So I, I like that. But the other part is, <clears throat> excuse me is that you've set yourself up to be diversified by still concentrating on one thing. So even you've had to take a step back, but your businesses, <clears throat> restaurants, the minis, and then now you're going into, you know, this potential franchise concept or grab and go, you know, and exploring that. So there's some, some cool things that have happened. One, being bold enough helped give you a balance. If there was no coop, you know, minis might have really hurt more than just 30%. Yes. You know, so there are things like that. And so it's pretty cool what you've done. And I think the other thing is, is even if if things didn't go as bad as they could have or, or thought you were, there's extra money there to reinvest in the businesses and grow during these times. Like one of the most important things about being an entrepreneur is that you've started to set yourself up during these change of times and you don't know what you're setting yourself up for, but you know, you're better ready to pivot for a COVID for something like that. Yes. To expose an idea. You know, we've had some things playing around for two years that the timing wasn't right or this or that, that now come October, we're going into full force. And, but we already had two years of development that we weren't really sure why we were developing it. We just knew we had to head in this direction and trends were starting to look that way. And COVID just hit the fast forward on those trends in terms of the way consumers eat. 
the way yes. the consumers order food online in online yes. grocery stores. And so things like that, you know, that's, that's the part of being an entrepreneur. It's not just starting the business. It's this repetition that nothing's ever good enough that you can always do more and that you're, you want to do not only what's best for your businesses, but you want to do best for the people in those businesses, you know, yes, because because you're a part of the communities also. That's the whole picture of an entrepreneur. It's not just a word on a page or I'm an entrepreneur because I did this. No, there's a lot to what that whole thing means and the responsibility that comes along with it that I love that you're embracing, Melinda. And I think what you're doing is so cool and the recognition you're going to give Georgia. And by the way, the tattoo artist, a lot of people, it's great. They're great at designing and doing logos and freehanding stuff. Like there's huge resource there. They're very talented artists and they're less traditional and less corporate. And guys, we're in a world where it's easier and easier to get logos. You want to differentiate yourself as much as possible. Like seriously. So I love your logo, by the way. And on that note, it's like I love Jessica Rabbit and the whole Who Framed Roger Rabbit TV show and all those characters. So it was a little bit of that. So side note, I just thought it was a cool play and it's bold and it gets your attention and you're right um you know if your flavor matches your the brand and you know the shocking i think it's a perfect pairing you know i have not tried it yet but i will try it because i love chicken especially fried chicken side note and um so tell me more um melinda tell me you know how do you move forward with with managing it how do you you know in your head how do you grow a business how do you handle all of it now do you have a general manager at each do you have someone to help you with each business are you really handling it i mean let's dive into the nitty-gritty in a daily basis of what your life looks like so at Minis, um, my mother is the general manager at Minis, which she has been managing many 30 32 years now, I believe. So basically, um, everyone kind of knew that the chicken lady was leaving, but everything would still be exactly the same at Minnie's, and it still is. And I'll still pop in there every now and then to serve the line, just, you know, to, to see all of those customers because it is a different clientele than the little store on the north end. So um, basically... Minnie's is under control by my mom, and when she would, when she retires, I will have a general manager that I will move up from the inside. I just think that is the best way. So at the coop, it is finding the exact type of um, employee that wants to watch this business grow, like um, the manager here now. She, like, she would cook at her house, but she didn't know any of my recipes. So, basically, it has been me fine-tuning my recipes of um, exact amounts that go into everything and then teaching that to the next person. And it's finding that personality that wants to grow because with, you know, five of these lined up in the future – I have to grow general managers for every store. So it's like if if someone 
sees that they're willing to put in that amount of work and believes in the growth and the future of Chicken Lady, then that person, if they're willing to learn everything that I have to teach, they're going to be the next general managers of all of the five stores. Yeah, but that's it, cool. It's refining all of my processes and finding that personality that really wants to take on all of that um, because it is something special. You become known for being um, the the chicken lady when I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it becomes not only you known for the way that you cook, but the way that you manage Yes. And that and as an entrepreneur and as as a businesswoman and things like that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's um I hire based on personality. And if um like Minis, Minis have been known in the community for its service. And because we're in the South, when you walk in Minis, you're just going to be called some type of endearing name because we just don't know how to do it any other way. <laughs> so you're going to be hit with an endearing name, and then you're going to go through the line, and everyone's going to be sweet as pie to you. And then you're going to enjoy that experience along with the food. And that is one of the things when I'm looking at the reviews on Facebook or Yelp or TripAdvisor, that it's always how the person was treated that they appreciated along with the good food. So it's the same thing at the coop. Like the reviews will say the the staff working there is so sweet and, and helpful. And that the entire experience is just as important to the food to me um, because I don't like it when I go somewhere and I'm not – I'm not going to say it's a rude experience. It's just not anything I'm going to remember. So yeah. if I can, if we can give an experience where you remember how you were treated and you remember how good the food is, you're going to come back. I agree. So, I mean, how do you manage, uh, I mean, do you, do you have different social media for each of your brands? If so, can you, can you point the audience at how do they find you online? What's so, your social media handles? And then let's dive into how you manage all of it. Because you obviously have a couple of different brands and businesses. How do you yeah. manage it all from that so, standpoint? Um, so uh, Minnie's Uptown Restaurant, Minnie's has its own Facebook page. And then Minnie's, um, it's Minnie's Uptown on IG as well. And then the Chicken Ladies Coop and... Me, personally, the chicken lady, I kind of melded them together in one at the official chicken lady, which is the IG site where we met. And it's like, I, I'm fine with, this is, has been a fight between me and my mentors for a while now. I believe they, they all want me to stop doing the social media of my personal and the chicken lady um, food. But my thing is um, people buy from someone that they trust. And it's like when you kind of know me as a person in my personal life, that gives you an insight to me. And it's also going to open up your eyes to whether or not you want to buy from the brand. And 
from seeing how the brand was um, sold out in one day at the grocery store, that's because the people knew the family in the community and they already trusted the family in the community and knew that it was good product that we were putting out. So I still personally believe that they go hand in hand. And I'm going to throw my two cents in on this one really strongly. I agree with you completely. Um, And I don't, we live in a world of transparency now. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, seriously, um, we're no longer behind a corporate veil. We're no longer behind a business. We're no longer a theory or a legend. These, the world we live in, social media, the things like that, it's become an expectation that people see into our personal lives. I'm going to, and you're right. It is trust. So yes, do I, and I do the same thing. My life, I have my personal page. This is my life. This is my family. We all know what we post and what we don't post and what our limitations are as a family, but we let people in, right? So that has to happen in order for people to trust my businesses now and me to build my businesses. They need to know who the face is behind the scene. Who's the family behind the scene? You know, who's this person? What are they like? You know, because... We don't have face-to-face interaction as much anymore, especially with COVID. We're behind masks. Things are different. So online is the way we're going to build stuff. And our businesses, they can come and go. Some are going to fail. If we put all of us and all of our energy into building a business and that goes to crap, we've lost all that. But as entrepreneurs, what do we know? We build brands and we sell brands and we acquire brands and we get rid of brands and we have failures and we rebuild things. So you yes. got to separate that out too. Like it's smart strategically. And is it a yeah. weighing managing lot? Yeah, absolutely. I manage how many mm-hmm. brands for our company and, and businesses. And we have it as a team, as a business development team and marketing. It's a lot, but yes. it's worth it because we also have different fans and different people that like different aspects of who we are. They don't like the whole thing and they don't want to see the whole thing. So, Correct. um, yeah, I just I'm I feel that um I I know that pushback from the mentor thing I do because I felt it myself and and people don't see it and I'm not a superstar social media person but I do know in the long run um as you build your brands and things um from some of the other brands I built or things I've done you want that separation but you also want your own brand cuz guess what people are going to buy from you they want that personal people are going to be loyal to you uh Melinda, not necessarily only the chicken lady, you know? Right. Right. People know Colonel Sanders. Guys, come on. People know who Colonel Sanders was, not only Kentucky Fried Chicken. It doesn't say anything about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken's name, right? Or KFC. Seriously. That's who, that's part of the brand. So it's the same thing. So to tie a direct correlation of fried chicken. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I like that what you're doing and I think you're also part of that brand and you're part of the voice and you're going to do other ventures, you know, or maybe you build it up and you do something for nonprofit, but you want your voice to hurt, but you don't want the brands to suffer from the decisions you're making personally. You know, yes. there's the way you need to have that separation, yes. honestly. So... I think it's the right decision. I'm sure I'll get a bunch of um, emails, but feel free. I will debate this with you guys. I'm happy to. 
<clears throat> um, so tell me more. Um, how do you manage it then? Um, I mean, do you come up with ideas? I mean, what's the future of it? How do you do all the photography of your food? Do you do it? Do you have someone do it for you? How, whose hands do you put that in? So it's a, there are some photographers who have helped me with capturing the pictures for the brand. And they're just local people that I, I just watched their page and thought they did beautiful work and was like, Hey, you know, I, I see that you do weddings, but could you do anything with food? And they're like, yeah. we can try it. And then a lot of the stuff has come out to be gorgeous food pics. Um, and so then, but it's like on the IG page, it's, it's mainly me with just my phone um, trying to capture a good looking picture of what we're cooking that day. Um, and it's like, I like to do videos as well, but I, I'm just limited on time. So it's like, I can snap a picture for you real quick to give you an idea of what I'm cooking. And then I'll let you know what it is. And then like today is homemade brownies. So um, throwing a picture of the homemade brownies up there, people are like, heck yeah, I want a brownie today. <laughs> and so they come in and they're like, I saw the brownies online or I saw the dipped chicken online. So it's me and my camera here at the coop. And I think if someone stole my phone, they'd probably have about 7,000 pictures of food on there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just me. And, and one thing with COVID is I would bebop in between both restaurants. Um, but now I'm probably working 105 hours a week just making sure that they stay afloat because sales are down you know, 50%, you can't afford the labor that you were pre, that you had pre COVID. So I'm, I'm a fill in. I, I have to get back there and wash dishes and cook and serve the line. And that's just what you have to do right now. Yeah. And don't be afraid of it. You no, gotta, you got to do it. And you learn a lot from your business and it, and it you, pays leaps you know and bounds that? in the future. That is one thing that been and I have learned so much from my labor from COVID and running the restaurants to the exact moment on sales dollars where I need to bring in additional labor and I never knew that fact before COVID like I could kind of make a, a guesstimation of how many people I would need and if what the sales were and then if we're not hitting this number, someone needs to be sent home type thing. But now I know the exact amount where um, when we start hitting that number on a daily basis that I have to bring in additional labor. So it's it really has been a great learning experience. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> and even the other way around, I think I've got a lot of thank yous from the podcast that I did right at the beginning of COVID where I'm like, you're going to find, you need to cut your not so successful menu items. You need to get ready for takeout. You need to limit the amount of items. You need to simplify it. So there's common items across your menus and, and yeah. offer varieties from day to day versus on a total menu. You yes. know, like how many people thanked me for how much it saved their business. Cause they never looked at it before. 
Yeah. I'm like, they just put stuff on it as long as it's sold. They didn't really think about it, whether or not it was a loss leader or if it had commonality across another product and what would happen if sales went down and the amount of inventory you were sitting on. Like, you got to have commonality right now across ingredients at the very least. And so... One of the things that happened here that threw me for a loop and I had to stay above it was the cost of everything, but mainly ground beef because one of the the best-selling items here at the Chicken Lady's Coop is our hand-pattied hamburger steak with onion gravy. That's one of the top sellers. Well, when my ground beef shot up almost $8 a pound. Yeah, absolutely. COVID, you have to figure out what are you going to do? Are you going to completely take it off the menu? And then the customer who comes in, they're going to be unsatisfied because they came in for one thing and you don't have it to offer. So, yeah, I had to figure all of that out. And that was a place that I've never been because I've never been hit with food costs like that. I mean, they'll fluctuate some. But $8 a pound is quite a different fluctuation that I was not prepared for. So some of the things I did have to completely take off of the menu, the beef tips that we would serve at both locations, they're gone right now. And it's just because it, there's no profit in it. And, and during these sales, I can't afford to offer an item that I'm not going to make any profit on. Yeah. And and I want to, this is just a valuable lesson because we're talking about it. And I, in the volumes for hospitals we buy for and stuff like this, uh, as a company, we feel it on a very large scale. But seriously, um, sometimes it's just, sometimes it's beef, sometimes it's milk, sometimes it's gasoline prices and it messes everything up. It always is going to happen. So you always want to have, you know you want to have a buffer always and you always want to be looking to keep that buffer in place in your food and your pricing and you want to always be willing and able to have menus and and stuff that you can update pricing you have to get over this i'm going to print it it's a waste of money to update the menu no it's a waste of money not to update the menu and print another one okay so things like that like you need to constantly, whether it's quarterly, whatever you agree to, I think quarterly is, is great because it forces you people to look at it. That's just me, but it's going to happen. So you always want to be ahead of it. So when you hit bumps in the road, you can try to keep stuff on, but then you also know like, okay, you just said it, try tips off. You need to know that about your business. You need to know where that stuff is and you need to know what's important and what your consumers can live with and without. Um, Because you'd be surprised about how many people they had favorites, but a lot of them are just exploring the menu and they really just love the fried chicken in the first place, for example, as an example. And then, so I just took, when I had to get rid of the beef tips, I took it as an opportunity to bring something else on that had never been tried. And it was the million dollar chicken casserole, which we call the billion dollar chicken casserole because it's phenomenal. And it's now the Sunday favorite. And it was just a replacement item to take over um, for the beef tips so that we could have a profit margin and now it's the number one seller on Sundays and people come just for the million dollar casserole. 
So what is the billion dollar chicken casserole? Oh, so the, it, it, it sounds it, like it's a boneless chicken that was grown and you just slaughter and it's automatically the chicken. No one has to debone it because that is a billion dollar chicken idea. No, so um, basically it's pulled chicken and then we add in, oh gosh, it's um, cream of chicken and it has a sour cream in there, a cottage cheese, cream cheese, um, garlic, onion powder, um, Ritz crackers loaded with butter, parsley, and it's just this delicious scoop of chicken and cheeses. (laughs) If you hear my mic short circuit, it's drool. (laughs) <laughs> so what so, but go ahead go ahead so yeah so now it's on instead of people are y'all serving beef tips again it's they walk in the door do y'all have that casserole today yes yes we do yeah, and it's leftover chicken that you didn't sell i'm sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is not a bad thing i don't mean it like don't i don't want to scare the audience but it's you pull the chicken off the bone it's what you would eat yeah. anyway pulled chicken style yeah. so it's yeah. useful um, it's, but now it's gotten to the point that we sell so much of the casserole, I never have enough chicken to debone that I now have to just bake off um, breast to make this chicken casserole. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So one of the things I love about your model also, Melinda, and I want to t- and hear your perspective on this, and I'm, I'm coming from the outside, and I, we haven't talked about this, is that here's the cool part about already building the relationships with the grocery stores and things like that while you're doing business because you can test recipes and items and find successful items in both the chicken lady coop and and oh my gosh i went blank minis is that right yeah and um and test different recipes and what people buy and those are good items to commercialize you know those are good items and so yeah. how do you feel about that? And I mean, ha- I mean, is that the way your mind's working towards some of this stuff? And like this chicken casserole, I mean, that's something that I can see. You could probably cook off IQF it or freeze it or whatever. And then grocery store chains all over the place could sell it. But tell yeah. me about that process in your mind. It is. So basically, I was very fortunate with minis that, you know, there's probably 500 people a day who were were eating at minis and that that was my test market and i could see how the male and female patrons would accept a dish or not accept it and like that was my test market was the customers and it still is like adding the topping to the souffle here that is my test market so like for example the aunt pearly sweet potato souffle that's on the market it will stay as is on the market but then i'm also going to say brand and put it in the grocery stores but it will have the the topping on it so and that was my test market um the people love the topping on the sweet potato souffle that's incredible and it's a thing of I wouldn't want to change Aunt Pearlie's because it's recipe at all because it has a huge fan base and they want it exactly how they've been buying it for the past 14 years. They don't want it any different. And how do you feel about that quote unquote acquisition experience? 
I mean, what were the gains that you feel that have been most important? And is there ways that you felt that you bought something that you couldn't otherwise, you know, gotten so quickly by purchasing it versus trying to get there on your own? As an example, I'm not that you cut any corners, but strategically. I really think that it was a blessing because it gave me a pathway to distribution and being able to buy POs that were already there was very comforting when you have a brand new company. So knowing that you already have POs for 15,000 of sweet potato souffle or, or 20,000 for a cornbread dressing, that's a really nice feeling. And you're not having to break. I, I'm I'm having to break a market with a new brand, but they know since I already have Aunt Pearlie's that basically I kind of know what I'm doing in the business. Yeah, it establishes and establishes the relationship, right? As you prove yourself, they they're more willing to try it, and you've opened up doors. I think is yeah. And it, then and then some of them are are like stubborn and and only want one brand and they don't want um both brands like i have a huge grocery store um that's in the southeast region and they love the aunt pearlie's brand and they they have all three the souffle dressing and the corn souffle but they absolutely do not want to bring in the chicken lady brand and so you know, it just is what it is. They're comfortable with what they're selling during the holidays and they don't want to make any changes. So I just sell them the Aunt Farley's brand. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. And so would you do an acquisition again if it made sense? I mean, I don't know, a sauce company or, I mean, something like that. I mean, do you see that in your future or do you see that where you are, you've sort of gained enough where you can keep, plowing down this road on your own whatever venture you go now i'm i've learned so much that i can plow down this road and just put out a competing product that's awesome so any new products you're thinking about bringing to commercialization or um for the public that may be coming out to grocery stores or anything you want to sneak peek us on there (laughs) That well, the sneak peek was the souffle with the topping under the chicken lady brand. That will probably be the next one that's going to hit the market. That's awesome. So, anything that you want to share with the audience, Melinda, hardship lessons that you learned that you feel would be something you want to pass on for people to learn, um, growth experiences or you know, ways that you feel that might help uh, another food entrepreneur, beverage entrepreneur sort of get a foothold in the world or pursue their dreams? I guess my best piece of advice is you better get tough. (laughs) You better have thick skin, which when I went into this, I... I guess I had just seen how my mother was always... how all of her purveyors treated her. They were always really kind to her. 
Well, when I come into the business and I start flipping the numbers on their head and realize, well, I can buy this at a much lower cost and make people start really compete and fighting for my business, they're not that nice anymore. No, no, no. (laughs) No, they're not nice at all. They can actually be really mean. So I learned that I I had to get tough. And I would say that the the person I am today is not the same person I was three years ago when I kicked all of this off. I, it's, and by the way, this has only been three years. Um, so, yeah, to be tough, it's going to be a lot harder than you think it's going to be. You're, you need to be a sponge. And if someone's telling you something that has already made millions in this business, you probably just need to shut up and listen to them because um, you can learn a lot from them. So be tough and be a sponge and just soak it all in. Yeah, I think um, 100% what you're you're saying is so true, Melinda. And let me ask this question. So you talked about it being three years. So one, what triggered the change? I mean, you talked about the boyfriend, so I'm not sure that that's the same time period. But two, um, what did you do for yourself educationally, I would guess, to grow, to help you do this? Um, Because you are a change person. I mean, you don't go through a transition in business or do what you've just done in three years as boldly as you've done successfully to where you are. Um, without it, so I want to sort of just take a gr- take a second to for people to understand that it's okay to to bloom, for lack of a better term, suddenly and go do something different, even if it's within your own industry. It's okay to suddenly have a growth experience or a rebirth or whatever you want to call it, or suddenly get into a flow state where you're extremely productive. Um, yeah, so explain so- this. So mine was my mindset was, okay, I'm the CEO. Now what is a fantastic book. So it's, it, it was, I had to change my mindset that I absolutely could do all of this and that I was going to do all of this and that I was going to be very successful in doing all this. And I had to believe that and know that because some of the stuff I was doing was extremely scary, especially when you're putting, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars out there that financially it can make or break you. And you like, it's the unknown. And I just had to have confidence in myself that I could make this work. And, um, so I, I teamed up with some mentors, um, I mean, I don't want to give any, put any names out there, but this one guy out of Nashville, Tennessee, I joined his group and I started paying attention to what what was going on. And his thing was, your mindset has to be in the game that you're, that you're going to win this. And, and so being in that mentorship group for a couple of years and then meeting other people entrepreneurs that were doing the same thing as me were we're a very different breed like our the roller coaster that our daily lives are on um it is much different than anyone who has like a nine to five job it's every day is a, a make it or break it for us and to surround myself with people with the same mindset who are going through the 
same tribulations and and everything that I had to deal with on a constant basis. That is that is what I needed in the beginning because it was very scary for me. Yeah. And to see that other people had the same type of fear, um, like I, one of the things I saw the prophet, he was talking about to, to get to the point where you can say, hey, like this scares the hell out of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so surrounding myself with those people, changing my mindset that I knew that I could do this was very pivotal for me in the beginning. So one of my experiences was going to this um, business entrepreneurial um, convention type thing where there were, I guess, another hundred entrepreneurs there. And we were basically meeting with millionaires and billionaires and explaining what our brand was and why we were there. And um, basically these these mentors that were there just wanted to see if they wanted to invest in our brand and what we were doing. So one of my first roundtables was sitting with um, a gentleman by the name of Tom. He's a multimillionaire, wine distribution, wine collector guy. And he also has um, a sales uh, seminar that he's known for. And he was very instrumental of bringing in the first ATM machines is like his background and how he became a multimillionaire. But to sit before that man and have to talk about who I am, my brand, what I'm doing. Um, basically, he's, he's like, you know, you have two minutes. Tell me about you. And that was a little intimidating. So then we had the roundtable discussion. I guess there were eight others at the table and he, he's, after everyone finished, he's like, if you want to know how to sell a product, he's like, Melinda just sold me on her product. I want some mac and cheese right now. And so to get that affirmation from that type of man was, it just kind of clicked with me that I'm really onto something here. Yeah. It's amazing let me tell you, everyone is afraid to um, do anything, you know, like public, go out and step there and take a risk. So, you know, this kid, um, I grew up on a farm. I was so shy, you would be amazed. The only way I ever really spoke up is just if I was playing soccer because I liked being captain so I could be in control of the game and yell at people is like my thing <laughs> and um, go figure that one out on, on the scale of where I am now and, um, and drive. But, you know, I wanted to win, but one of the things that's so important and that you touched upon Melinda that I want to talk about is there's a big difference between a proprietor. And I know we have a lot of people on the podcast and we call it the food entrepreneurs, but I do want to talk about a difference. Proprietor is someone who just starts a business. That's that's okay. And and yes, they had the they went out and they did it and they built this business. That's a proprietor. That's why it's called that. You can have a sole proprietorship, you know, legally in the United States. But being an entrepreneur is about building something to grow. You know, not only for you, but for your family, for your legacy, that's going to make a difference. You know, whether it's employment, whether it's creating jobs, whether it's doing the right thing, whatever it is, you know, that's, you know, building, helping rebuild communities through your business that you go into as a franchise. There's all these type of things, right? 
you know, one of the cool models that I love that's going on right now is there's companies out there in the food that are franchised. They're going, we're going into the tougher areas and we're helping revitalize neighborhoods with these, you know, upscale um, grab and go restaurants. Um, some of them are supporting them through mobile kitchens. Some of them are doing that, but they're, that's their thing. They're like, let's just, let's do the right thing. And they built a huge business off it. And, you know, it depends on what your model is, but I love that the entrepreneurship and what you're seeing, you're pivoting, you're, you're building this business. You don't know where your ideas are going to end up or what you're going to end up doing or how you might help people with a better life or, or families or put food on people's tables. But you do know you have to go that direction and, and why not, if you're going to live, go do it and be the best at it. Because yes. that's what it is. Why do anything if you're not going to be the best? That whole thing, I never understand anyone. I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. It's a painful process. Let's just be the best. Yes. It's going to hurt. But if I'm doing it to be the best, then it doesn't hurt so bad also. That's the irony. you know. Yeah. That's the weird part is it doesn't hurt as much anymore because there's so much purpose in it is the word I will use. And potential for greater purpose and legacy. Yeah for family and to pass down to kids and, you know, stepkids or whatever is in your life, you know? So anyway, I went on a rumble ramble there, but, um, I mean, what do you think, Melinda? I do. I, it's, um, I guess when I reached a, a point of like self actualization, like what I'm put here for that, it it kind of takes away the fear. Like I know what my purpose is and what I'm supposed to do. And I have a very soft heart for women who have not, they, they don't have that belief in their selves it, or if they've had a troubled past or out of a bad relationship, anywhere where they, they don't feel like they're on the top of the game to take that woman and, and help her build her self-esteem back up and learn how to cook great along the way and learn how to serve customers along the way. It's a huge change. Like as, as I'm on with you, my, my manager that's in here, she, she has, um, a, a, a troubled past with um, drug addiction and, and she's vocal about it now. And to see the change in, in her, the belief that she has in herself now, like when you meet her, you, you would never have a clue that she had any type of troubled past, the way that she interacts with the customers, the way that she runs this place, because I really don't even need to be here. This, this entire restaurant could be ran 100% without me all the time. I'm just here for a labor fill in right now, but to see the change in her, like that's where my soft spot is. And if I can help um, b help to be a vessel for other women to achieve what um, this manager has done, then I'm like, I hope that I can open these all over the Southeast if, if we can have one manager who can change her life like that. It's, um, yeah, it actually gets me a little emotional. Well, absolutely. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is how 
chicken lady becomes more than just one lady. Um, it's a greater purpose by which she's going to have all these people that share a belief system and a passion for what she has and an experience that will follow her anywhere. And that's pretty cool, right? It is pretty cool. Yeah. And make a difference. So why not? We're going to do it. We're going to try to make money and take care of our families. We can also make a difference. So, yeah. And it gives everyone purpose, including those in those employees and those managers and those people, you know. So. Yes. Absolutely. <clears throat> so. And, and it's like I know that everyone kind of, like, always w wants everyone to have the, the corporate type job or to do this or to do that. That's where the money is. But, I mean, my GMs, like... I'm not going to say <laughs> there's quite a bit of money to be made in the, in restaurants that are doing, you know, over a million a year in, in sales, it's not a bad income. So that is one thing that has frustrated me that, you know, you need to do this corporate job. You don't need to work at a restaurant. Well, I heard you, my GMs make more than, than some that are just doing corporate gigs. So uh, yeah, that was my little rant on that. <laughs> when well, we are seeing the world change, right? COVID is changing. We're, you know, there's, we're starting to see office buildings and needing to have that sort of overreach over employees, unless you're actually producing something. Obviously, I need people to come in physically to produce food. But I mean, generally, our company's taken a whole step back and gone remote with our corporate positions, you know, mm -hmm. and our ability to travel and start to figure out different ways to do that stuff. It saves money. Why didn't we do it before? I have no idea. Thanks, COVID. I needed the yeah. kick in the behind. Ex <laughs> yeah. You know, all of us did. Um, yeah. But it's... Um, but how we, you know, we deal with that stuff, I think, is important. So uh, I just think it's just such a cool thing um, having you on the podcast and just all the things we've been able to talk about. And thank you, Melinda. So, Well, thank you for letting me be a part of this. I, I haven't gotten a chance to relive the the story of of this in a in a while now so thanks for that it was some good memories while i was talking yeah awesome and i would i would love to have you back on the podcast and i think you know we'll talk about another episode here in the near future and start seeing how everything grows but um it's really cool i like what you're doing with the changes that covid has brought about and and the pivoting that's going on and the changing world we're seeing you know, the smaller, more maneuverable companies are are yes. making the difference. So, you know, now's the time to get in the game, ladies and gentlemen. The Now's the time to take the risk. Um, it, you're already at a risk point. So don't be stupid. You know, do your research. But I feel like there's a lot of opportunities there to explore for people to start being entrepreneurs and taking that risk and you know, getting a mentor or reaching out to someone online or now there's all these master classes. Hey, the information's there. Yes. Um, you know, at your fingertips. And I love that you read a book and that helped you out. And I love the drive to just be a better person and to grow. And because of that drive in yourself, you have a, 
what quote unquote vessel that you get to be for other people that also help will help them live their lives and live their dreams through your big dream. And, you know, there's a lot of people that say this and, you know, I have mentors that say it, um, Arate Syndicate, Ed Milet and Andy Frisella, I'll plug them since Arate Syndicate has made such a difference in Deborah and I's life um, as mentors and entrepreneurs um, over the last uh, year and a half. But it's important that we have a bigger purpose within our businesses also it keeps the drive there it keeps us grounded in why we're doing it if it's just for the food and it's just to make money you know you're never going to get fulfillment out of what you're doing and you're never going to see the greater purpose and how you're you're helping people one but two your dream always has to be so big as an entrepreneur that has to fit in everyone else's dreams in your company. So if you have employees that have really big dreams, guess what? That's going to force you to have even bigger dreams because you want them to live their lives and you want new people to have opportunities to build dreams and people to grow, not just be stuck in the same position. And then they have a choice. If they want to be, if they want to cook French fries for lack of a better term, and they do really well at it and that's their job, they love it. I'm not telling to force them to grow. That's that. Let that person excel, give them bonuses, you know, all the things that reward them. But I'm also saying there should always be the opportunity for people to grow in order to do that. The dream needs to be big and you need to continue to grow your business. So, um, Again, Melinda, I'll, I'll open up the floor one more time for anything you want to add. I just want to say thank you for um, allowing me to tell my story today. I, I don't do it that often anymore. Um, so thank you for that. It's been it's been fun. Well, it's not over. You should ask anyone who's been on the podcast. You just because you've done one now, I now I persistently ask you to do more or set up more. So. <laughs> That will be just fine. All right. Awesome. Thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening in and sharing the podcast and following us and subscribing all the different channels all over the world. It's kind of cool to watch it grow. Um, And it was kind of cool to have everyone reach out as we took a couple months off to rebound from COVID as I had to pivot businesses and we as a company and people that work for me and work with me. Um, but all the people that reach out and missed it and wondered when we were going to do another podcast and if it were over that all meant a lot and I haven't said anything about it, I'm about to cry. So I'm trying not to do that on the podcast. And, um, but thank you guys for reaching out and caring. So, and Melinda, thank you for speedily getting on so quick and making it. I really enjoyed this one and I love chicken. So awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Me too. And I hope I get to see you soon. (laughs) Awesome. Everyone have a great day and thank you for listening in. Bye.